Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. You know the drill. A new leader comes in and they come in to make change. So we're first going to do a series of organizational redesigns, and then we're going to have a new strategy or vision, choose your favorite language, and a variety of statements coming out of that, and maybe some purpose statements and value statements. And then next comes the notion of we need to change or transform from X to Z. However, we find that very few leaders ever really succeed in that cultural transformation. It's rare. So today we're going to talk about why. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we need to be doing instead? What are leaders getting wrong? What are organizations getting wrong? And more importantly, how are we going to go about doing this in a different way to create a shift? And by the way, along the way, we want to talk about generational differences because those certainly play into how we affect cultural change. My guest today is Dr. Dante Vaughn. He's an expert in organizational leadership, workforce management, and company culture. With over 17 years of senior level executive experience driving results in both the public and private business sectors, he's going to foster the design and implementation of business growth and leadership strategies and serving the companies throughout the U.S. as well as around the world. He's CEO and managing partner of a company called Culture Works, spelled W-O-R-X, if you're looking it up. And more importantly for today, his Amazon bestseller is entitled From Culture to Culture, The System to Define, Implement, Measure, and Improve Your Company Culture. Dante, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Wanda. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I, you know, get lots of people who want to talk about culture. We've done a number of shows on culture. I'm looking forward to this one. Awesome. So I want to start at first. What got you started doing work on culture? And more importantly, given the terrible results we often see, why do you keep doing it? <laughs> Great question. You know, my work in this conversation around workplace culture really started in early in my career on the operations side of the business. And as I was working to try to help organizations shift operational improvement by way of their systems, their processes, their leadership behavior, what I found fundamentally was that this conversation around behavior and behavioral change was one that organizations struggled to affect in many cases, even just navigate, you know, what is it? It's and this conversation even deeper around leadership culture was something that was approached in more of an abstract way. And it started to prompt conversations with myself and and my business partners at the time. You know, how do we address with more specificity an approach to drive leadership behavioral change? as a means of having true and real proactive impact on workplace culture. So through that discussion and, and, and envisioning what this could really look like, um, we developed the methodology that we call culture performance management, and, and it shapes um, how we approach driving this culture transformation that you refer to. That's great. 
So do you see success? Do you work with companies that actually change leadership behaviors in some large scale capacity? Very much so. Uh, you know, it has a lot to do with the authenticity and sincerity behind what an organization is trying to realize by way of their leadership culture, right? If you treat culture like a marketing exercise, then that's what you're going to get as an outcome, not a culture shift or culture change in the business. You're going to have some great marketing, great campaigns, but it becomes window dressing for your business. And that in and of itself is not good enough when you're trying to attract and retain talent, especially with the shift in um, the working population in the United States. It's it, it, it requires more than simply uh, preaching that you believe in these core values or, or, or how you operate in this pursuit of your purpose, vision, or mission. You have to actually have integrity and it needs to be an actual experience. And, and organizations are in a position now where they're accountable to that. Yeah. Um, one of my pet peeves in this space, I see it all the time. We have whatever value or purpose statement or leadership pillars or whatever. My clients all have some versions of some of those with different titles. And we'll use very lofty words. Like I'll pick one of my clients who says very clearly, we're going to win in the marketplace to the extent that we can collaborate with each other. Okay. Don't disagree at all. Great statement, totally 100%. But next to zero clue, what that means people need to be doing differently. Exactly. So it, I can see, if there's an example, we got it, that one worked, but you still don't understand why it worked, what caused it to work, how we replicate it. That's what you're talking about, right? That is exactly what we're speaking to, Wanda, is this premise that you know, these conversations around values need to be actionable and connect to how individuals in your business engage, interact, and make decisions that impact your fulfillment of that purpose, vision, mission, strategy, operational performance. We have to stop treating this definition of culture as the end point. No, that's the beginning point. That's why in our seven pillars, yes, you need a value something system, something that grounds your organization and everyone within it. But then what, right? You have six more pillars to go to actually operationalize it, scale it, point to how this is impacting your business in a real and tangible way. Right. Yeah. It's this, you know, words like collaboration or integrity or customer focus or any of the, they're all wonderful, truly aspirational things to do, something people should be striving for. No disagreement with that one. Mm -hmm. But we say the word behavior and we don't actually understand what behaviors we want. That's and that's right. what I find is that that's what you're talking about. All right. You've teed this up. I got to ask you. So the first pillar is we have to have a definition statement, hopefully a good one of what we're aspiring to be from a values, purpose, mission, strategy point of view. There are six more. Just give me the other six. Sure. So the second pillar is define, right? This conversation around defining the leadership behaviors that represent the embodiment of those core values. What are the standards that you set for how you want individuals to show up in your business? And are they defined in a manner that is actionable, practical, right? Because to your point, 
many organizations we engage with, we start at between pillar one and pillar two. Frankly, oftentimes we have to start at pillar one because these abstract, arbitrary definitions for these core values don't actually perpetuate the experience. So sometimes we have to visit, you know, what, the, you know, we bleed orange. Like, what does that mean as a core value? Get her done, right? I mean, so sometimes we have to go back to the foundation of what are you really trying to get at? But then that definition becomes critical. Pillar three, then, is the connection. How do you connect value system and behavioral expectations and standards to points of engagement and interaction. Where's culture perpetuated in your business? You have to know because that's how you build consciousness and awareness around your behavior. You can't just simply say, I want everyone to embody all these values every day, each and every day, every hour of the day. That's not tangible. How do you say, okay, at your startup huddle, every morning, you're going to be intentional about practicing certain behaviors that reinforce empowerment, collaboration, teamwork, whatever those core values may mean to you. Here's what it looks like in conversation. Here's how you should structure your communication and your follow up and what have you. Right. Being very intentional and methodical about understanding what we call those culture connection points. That's just pillar three. So we have a value system, behavioral standards and expectations. We know where we show up and actually impact culture in our connections. Now we need to actually learn, practice, measure and refine the last four pillars. Just because I have behavioral expectations doesn't mean my leaders in the organization have a capacity to embody it. Right. It's ideological to say, oh, everyone knows if, how what it means to show up this way. The reality is we don't. We all have lived experiences. We have professional experience that may shape how we think we should show up. So learning is really about taking those behavioral standards and expectations and being intentional about examining what does it mean to foster, for example, uh, trust, core value, common core value. Well, what are the behaviors of trust? One of them may be, okay, transparency. But what does it mean to show up and be transparent as a leader at my level? Oh, well, being transparent as a leader, if I'm working the front line, may be to provide insight to my team about why the goals and performance have changed versus yesterday and what that will mean to them. Okay, so now I need to go out and practice that. Mm -hmm. And then I need a point of actual um, reflection and insight and feedback. So that learn and practice is really about an opportunity to go out, be intentional about practicing behavior and having an accountability partner or someone with whom you report to that says, hey, Wanda, I know you're practicing transparency with your team. Here's some feedback on how you can course correct or continue to apply that. That starts to get at true behavioral change. Acknowledge that I have an opportunity or and even some strengths in how I, I practice this behavior, receive some feedback on how to optimize that. And then that becomes the measurement, those points of observation, those points of frequency and me being intentional about practicing the behavior and the feedback I receive. Learn, practice, measure, now I have a point of reference. What did it was I trying to get after? What did I do? What's the variance? Now I can take action, i.e. refine how I approach my team. You know what? I forgot to mention why 
you know, why certain goals changed on the line. And I wasn't really transparent about the fact that we dropped the ball. Our productivity dipped by 15% uh, yesterday, so we have to pick it back up. That's what impacted it. Next time, I'm going to make sure I speak to that. That's true and real intentional practice of this culture you're trying to foster. Okay. Okay. So seven pieces. We have to have a statement. We have to know what we're looking for. Then we have to define what that actually means in behavioral standard terms, actionable practice. You bet. And we need to connect that to the ways in which we do our work day in and day out, hour by hour, so we know where we want this to show up. Then we're going to learn, so we have the skills. We're going to practice it intentionally. We're going to measure it, get some feedback, and then we're going to refine how we approach those behaviors and standards. You bet. And that's integrated into business every day. Every day. Every part of every day, not a one-year program, not a quarterly program, That's right. every day, ongoing, every single That's day. That's right. I, we say in the book, culture is not an initiative. If you treat your workplace culture like an initiative, instead of treating it like a strategic pillar of your business, uh, then you're going you're going to struggle to sustain and, and scale what makes the best of what makes your culture. Right. Okay. All right, I'm going to come to that one in a moment. Culture is not an initiative. Um, I was struck by an example that you have at the very beginning of the book with a company that um, we can keep nameless for the purposes of this discussion, but that had wonderful engagement scores. So I believe in the 90s, which, you know, a bunch of my clients would die to have, except their culture wasn't delivering what they wanted. Explain, how can this be possible? (laughs) You know, the challenge with work with employee experience surveys or, or similar surveys is you're taking the, you're generalizing the perceptions of the employees as a lagging indicator of, of what they perceive as their experience. Good, bad, or indifference, those are inadvertently skewed anyway because circumstances could shape how they respond and and what have you. Let's throw a pizza party and then give them the give yeah, them the okay. survey kind of thing, right? But the challenge is oftentimes the surveys don't connect with how you need your leaders to engage and interact for the sake of of driving performance outcomes in the business. Right. Oftentimes, the engagement surveys are more generalized questions that speak to individualized experiences, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the embodiment of the behaviors from an engagement interaction and, most importantly, decision-making point of view is where it needs to be to drive optimal performance outcomes, critical thinking skills, problem identification and resolution. Some of those things coupled with how am I fostering individualized development of my team, inspiration, driving of productivity by way of how I'm engaging and interacting. All those moving parts may not have even been a consideration of the line of questioning that stemmed. And in that client example, they offered a generic kind of evaluation of perceived leadership engagement under interesting circumstances in terms of the data and then was wondering, well, that how come my productivity doesn't reflect this? How come my efficiency doesn't reflect this? How, how come my customer fulfillment doesn't reflect these 
happy employees, right? And we said, well, well, fundamentally, there's a disconnect between what you're actually surveying and what you need your leaders to do to drive positive outcomes. Right. So that that's that that was that uh, circumstance. And, and and Wanda, if you look at Gallup surveys, right, and you see these national surveys. If you look at the last decade, I'll even challenge to look at the last two decades. Take the pandemic out as as and normalize. The average rate of improvement in those national employee engagement surveys is so small. We get excited when you see a 1% shift. <laughs> but the reality is it's 33, 34, 35% of 100, right, who who believe that they're actually actively engaged effectively from their leaders. What does that tell us? We're treating symptoms, but we're not getting a root cause leadership behavior. That's why these engagement surveys are not shifting dramatically year over year, decade over decade. Well, if I think about Gallup questions, for example, the standard questions where you say things like, I trust management. Exactly. Somebody's having, yeah, right. What does that mean? Yeah, I may generally trust them for some things, not for everything. So you're going to get a mediocre answer on that question, I think, generally, because how many employees actually know who upper management is? They, how do they know if they trust them and have a relationship with them? So I'm sure. going to get an okay enough. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't translate into our productivity dropped. We have a problem and our manager is taking action that I may not like uh, indeed to address that problem and push us to increase productivity. Correct. Okay. Correct. And we right. see that time and time again in, in organizations. So we say, look, you have to get at foundational leadership behavior. We have to look at core skills and competencies and their capacity to show up in the manner and make decisions in a manner that you want them to. And you need some framework by which they do that. Yeah. I have um, one of the things that bugs me about these engagement surveys is routinely one of the low questions is I'm learning and developing in some capacity. Everybody asks that in a different way, but the same thing. That means, oh, let's run more training programs. But if you actually go and interview the employees, that's not what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. They want cutting edge knowledge. They want exposure to what the latest thing is in the industry. That's right. Talk about where their career is going. They want to talk about how they get that promotion that they didn't get. It's a whole bucket of behaviors that is not necessarily around run a training program. You are spot on. Exactly. Okay. All right. So I'm glad to know I'm not too far off the mark. All right. Now you make a big deal out of stopping to think about workplace culture as things like pool parties or donut drives or pizza lunches or an all employee picnic or whatever other things. So we get happy, quote unquote, employees the day week before the survey goes out. <laughs> I've seen that way too many times. What's wrong with that? <laughs> the ch- look, the, there is a place for opportunities to celebrate and acknowledge your employees. And I'm I'm an advocate for that in the in the context of, of it all. The challenge with that as the the strategy for impacting workplace culture is it's short-lived, circumstantial, kind of emotional driving events. It doesn't become a lived experience. The measure and true impact of your workplace culture, the values we share, 
the language we use, the behaviors we display, the connections we make, that's what makes up culture, not circumstantial uh, um, events that drive a momentary reaction of excitement. And then sometimes the counter effect. When my experience isn't indicative of what you are claiming at a two-hour event, and when you get on the mic and you start to quote core values you don't live every day, you yeah, right. lose integrity, you lose trust. And many employees, and I've seen this in organizations you may have as well, Wanda, where employees are rolling their eyes during the event. They feel uh, frustrated by the nature of it. And you're wondering, well, you're just not grateful. What I mean, look what all that we're doing and how can you not be happy? Well, because it's not authentic. They don't experience this every day. Then all of a sudden, corporate flies in, a customer's visiting, and all of a sudden we want to do these momentary things, right? And and that's where you can't, we say in the book, you can't fake culture. You can fake a moment in time. But you can't fake culture. And, and that's why those events, I say, look, you, your strategy isn't made up of, of these events. If that's the superficial nature of what you believe is going to impact the people experiencing your business, you have a long way to go. Yeah. I like that. It's what employees experience every day. You bet. It's not an event. It's not a quarterly. It's not exactly. a year end. It's not an anything momentary. Exactly. What I experience from my manager every single day. Okay. That's right. That puts a peg on it. Now, you defined culture earlier as the behaviors, the connections. Say again what your definition of culture is the values we share, the language we use, the behaviors we display. And the connections we make, connections in relationship, connections in how I show up every day with intentionality. That's what I mean when we say connections. Right. Those points of engagement, interaction, decision-making, connections. That's how we define culture in broad context, even in our personal lives, the cultures we embrace through our social norms, through our ethnicity, through our heritage, all still connect to or relate to values, language, behaviors, connections, right? Okay. And that same thing applies in the workplace, which is why we start to your point with a value system, a behavioral framework, a belief system that says we show up together purpose to achieve something in the future, vision, by way of these steps, mission, and we're going to do it a certain way together, values. Values become that foundation. Right. Right. Okay. I get that. I like this. The values we share, the behaviors we display, the language we use, and the connections we make. You bet. In every component of connections. All right. Okay, I think I know what your example is. So let me do this one. Can you give us an example of what a really good culture looks like? Do you have a client out there who's nailed it? And can can you give us a what happened? So my measure is less about the goodness of the culture or the experience because that's going to be relative to the individual. Okay. What I measure is, do they have a culture that they can speak to its origin, its sustainability, and how it realized the level of 
ownership and, and accountability surrounding how leaders are showing up, how they're, they're how they're making decisions, how they're impacting employee experience. And in, in other words, do they have they operationalize it in a way that it is become ingrained in their ability right. to fulfill their their purpose? Right. And when I think of organizations like that, when you consider companies like, for example, Chick-fil-A, mm -hmm. right? Chick-fil-A is a great example uh, of a company who has taken their core values, whatever it means to them. There's no good or bad core values. It's right. what you think is going to represent what's required to fulfill your purpose, vision, mission, and so on. They have very distinct, to the extent that the marketplace um, even... We're like, whoa, you yeah. stand behind them so much. You close on Sundays, you, you believe in a religious direction and all those things. But they stood behind it and said, if you embody this, come to our organization. And they were intentional about communication and integration of the, the value system, the definition behind how what it means to show up every day and how they go about practicing it. What's the culture path? Not just for the employees. They integrate it into their onboarding, training, what have you. There are whole case studies out around Chick-fil-A. But the customer experience. So they've been able to scale the standard of what it means to be a Chick-fil-A customer. What's the culture experience? Well, when you get in line, you're greeted a certain way. When uh, you're, 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 you're asked for your name, not just because they keep track of orders, but because they want to reference you by name and make it personal. You're always going to get a good day and a thank you and, a, and, a, and what have you. It's a simple and subtle yet important integration in the connections that a customer makes from the time you walk into the restaurant or the time you go through the drive-through. They have behavioral-based training from a learning and development point of view. It's not just a measure of um, ticket times in, in the drive-through. It's a measure of how are you showing up from a customer experience standpoint and employee experience. The regional managers come in and actually audit behavioral observations, right? These are all things that were, I think, the most progressed or prof uh, profound connection to our methodology as I did research around uh, uh, this approach. And, and it was the closest I could find that says, wow, they, they're kind of figuring they it out. They got it out. They got it out. And again, we may not, you may not like their values. You may not want to work right. with them. You may not want to copy them. That isn't the yep. point. The point is they are clear about what their values are. Therefore, who they were hiring, who they wanted to appeal to, what their customer right. experience was looking like, That's what right. they expected from their managers from behavior down to the point where we're auditing the managers doing that. You're right. And it's not your standard productivity measures. Correct. It's down to what you say, what you do. You bet. Okay. I think I've got that straight. All right. I like it. So... Cultural performance management, CPM, seven pillars, a statement, a definition of what that means behaviorally, the standards we're actually practicing that are practical, the ways we connect that standards and behaviors to our day-to-day -day processes so that it's experienced every single day. And the ability to learn, the ability to practice, the ability to get feedback and measure success, and then the ability to refine your leadership yes. all together in a kind of repeat, rinse and repeat formula. 
you bet it becomes the continuous improvement cycle surrounding your culture. You're not waiting to react to a survey. You're in front of it. And then when you can align those survey questions to those same behavioral standards that your leaders are intentionally, then you're going to say, hey, how are your leaders showing up this way, the way we want them to, that should foster the positive employee and customer experience that we're looking for. Now, that's a lagging indicator of, am I having the impact that I wanted to have? in my business, right? That's the better, better alignment. That's where we wanted to go. All right. So let me pick on this word behavioral before we take a break, which is, I think those of us who practice this business and who are social scientists understand what we mean by behavior, but I'm not convinced the rest of the world does. So I can say one of our core values is to collaborate. And uh, that means I need to be collaborative, but that's not a behavior. How do I know I'm down at the behavioral level? Behavioral starts to examine the actions that an individual takes verbally and non-verbally to foster a mutual experience that then the outcome becomes collaborative, you know, approach to work execution for the example that you provided. So then it becomes more about the emotional state of an individual, the physiological state of an individual. It becomes about the words they use, the tone that they use, the approach that they have that ensures that the perpetual experience that that individual whom you're trying to um, foster collaboration with is one that they say, wow, this this feels collaborative. My experience is is such that the outcome is what I want it to be. It's not just the, and and, and, and I'll go a bit further. That requires a consciousness and awareness behind those actions. That's when you've reached a true opportunity for a behavioral shift. Okay. I get it. Emotional, physiological approach, tone, language, verbal, nonverbal, so that people have the experience of the outcome, the value I'm looking to exhibit every single day. I keep putting that every day in there because otherwise we go back to having an event. All right, Dante, I now understand why we do such a bad job. (laughs) Because we do the first scratch surface in a nearly enough of the depth that it takes to truly transform a culture. All right. This is a perfect place for a break. So my guest today, Dr. Dante Vaughn, the book that we're talking about from culture to culture, the system to define, implement, measure, and improve your company culture. And if you haven't caught on with it thus far, having a value statement, mission statement, uh, strategy statement, purpose statement is just the beginning There are six more pillars to go after that if you're really going to make that statement live and deliver the results you're looking for. Um, Dante's company is CultureWorks, W-O-R-X. And Dante, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they find you? You They can visit us at at our website, of course, getcultureworkswithanx.com. We have our parent company, The Powers Company. That's another way to reach us. And then in any major social media platform, LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, we have representation across the board. 
where you can reach out to us or, or message even me directly. And, and we can, let's have a real authentic conversation okay. about, about your right. culture. Fantastic. Um, so we're going to take a break at this point. When we come back, I want to dig a little bit into the talent and this notion of quiet quitting and generational differences and yeah. retention and what the heck it is we're getting wrong. And a statement I'm going to tease you with, what you promote is what you permit. We'll talk about that when we come back and we'll be right awesome. back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Dr. Dante Vaughn. We have been talking about uh, Dante's book, From Culture to Culture. And the general principle across the board, if you've heard it, is we start with a statement about what our values, our mission, our strategy, purpose is. We never get deeply enough to say what are the actual actions, decisions, interactions that leaders are having every single day with employees that exemplify the outcomes you're looking to achieve. And without that, and without the feedback and the preparation and the learning and the refinement, then it's very difficult to see that your culture leads to the kind of successes that you are hoping to achieve. So there's a lot of work to do, I think, is the answer to that one. A lot of work, a lot more than many people put into it. I want to shift gears, though, and talk about talent. All right, so there's all sorts of headlines going at the moment. We've got Gen Z commentary, we got millennial commentary, 
We got the quiet quitting movement. We've got resig the great resignation and all of it in general. What do you see as the challenges for retaining this next generation of talent? I think retention of talent begins with an understanding of the driver's of their decision-making when it comes to selecting an employer. The reality is the average household, 60% of their income or earning potential is through passive means that are not wage and salary. Okay. In other words, individuals today have an opportunity to earn income and can be selective outside of the workplace. So when they do choose to navigate employment as a W-2 employee, they want to do so with the desire that that this experience aligns with what they're looking or hoping for, that how it aligns with their purpose and, and their motivators or drivers um, on a personalized level. And most organizations have struggled to articulate that or to truly live out what they claim when they're engaging employees, right? If my expectations are X and then when I experience Y, we wonder often, well, why, you know, I everything made sense. Why, why did they leave? It, well, because their experience isn't what they thought it would be. I often asked our, our our business leaders at, at a C-suite level, what are you paying your employees for? And they often say, well, I'm paying them to produce. I'm paying them to show up. I said, are you sure about that? I said, do you find that your lowest performers come to you wanting raises just like the highest performers? Well, yeah, and I don't understand, understand that. I said, because you're not paying for performance. Now, if you have a bonus program and merit increases and all that, then maybe there's a little correlation there. But fundamentally, you're not paying on the basis of a per individual's productivity. You're paying them for their time. They believe that you're they're going to realize a certain experience during that time that equated to the amount of money you're paying them. You believe that they come with a certain skill and competency that if you have effective leadership, you'll draw that out of them. You'll realize its greatest potential to have impact on your business. You wanted to pay for that. And they said, well, there's a value of my time placed on that. But when I get there, my experience doesn't align. Then what's the first thing they go to? monetary, because now I want more for my time, not relative to their productivity. We have to shift our mindset around what that looks like and then get real about, am I actually fostering this experience? Because that translates to the candidate and to the employee. And guess what? To the marketplace, because then they're telling their cousin, sister, aunt, uncle, brother, friend, about what it means to be a part of your organization that perpetuates a reputation in the marketplace as well. Are you truly an employer of choice? Not because of ping pong tables and, and, and what have you, but because of the experiences people right. have. Right. All right. So two comments on this one. I think it was Lynn Curry and I may get the stats wrong on this one, but it was a recent podcast said that something like 60% of employees are questioning whether they made a good choice coming to work for a company in the first two months. Yes. 
Like they haven't even gotten onboarded yet. And they're questioning whether they should have come to this company. Wow. Like that is just, that's terrible. Even if it's half that, it is still terrible. And the second is commentary. As I look at millennials and Gen Z, they share experiences, whether we like it or not, broadly. And work experiences is one of them. Pick up any social media, you will see it right, left, and center, and not always in a good light. You bet. And so they're looking to say, is my friend over here having a better work experience than I am? And if so, then what am I doing at this company? Mm-hmm. So either that means I'm leaving or that means fine, I'll stay, but pay me more. I like your point. We They want to be paid. They expect to be paid for their time. Mm-hmm. The you, value. Bet. you bet. And oftentimes that experience, when an organization struggles to articulate what the value is in showing up every day and how they can connect what they've asked you to do to what you're motivated by or in fulfillment of your own personal goals, when you struggle to articulate that, people start to question from a purpose-driven point of view, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And we're in a time now where this desire to, to pursue certain avenues of industries and careers and, and innovation and all these different things, it matters to people. And, and so I work a lot with clients in trying to help them connect Here's how what I'm asking you to do. If we put the right tools and resources and and we and we engage a certain manner, I'm going to help connect what I'm asking you to do to what is important to you in your life. It's no longer um, have a mortgage and 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 stick 30 years with a company anymore. That's an antiquated mindset with the generation of talent in the marketplace today. That's right. That's right. Um, I certainly see it right, left, and center, frustration with how they're being treated from a manager. They have a set of expectations about what a manager should be doing. I think I said to a group yesterday, you know, if 60% of the time, or sorry, 40% of the time you have a manager doing what you think they should be doing, you're probably ahead of the curve. And they were like, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> but the I mean, I'm respectful. The quality of time managers have to dedicate to the job is pretty bad. Um, so I get that. I understand the pressures on them. But the disconnect between the expectations of the young talent and what they're experiencing from a management point of view is just pathetic. You agree or you disagree with me? No, no, I agree. And it's not for a lack, I think, in in the average leader having a desire to want to have a positive impact. Most leaders have not been invested in their own development of what it means to show up as a leader, understanding that a manager and leader are not interchangeable. Manager of systems, processes, resources, and a leader of people, the best is when you can do both. But the reality is most don't know what it means to show up and be a leader, or they have the foundational desire, interest, passion to show up in someone's life and, and, and have to refine their approach. Hence, learn, practice, measure, refine. You you need that opportunity. Most organizations take their best operators, their best employees, and make them leads, supervisors, managers, directors, and so on. But have you ever equipped them to show up effectively from a behavioral point of view and what that really means to motivate and inspire productivity, efficiency, creativity, yeah. innovation, right? That's a that's a harder lift. Most organizations under under invest in that. I, I, I mean, I conducted a whole study on this phenomenon of, 
of why organizations do not invest in leadership training and development, despite the implication it has on their business. So why don't they? I can't leave that question just hanging. Why don't they invest? Most organizations struggle to connect ownership and accountability of behavior to performance outcome. They they look at performance outcome through a lint, the lint, the technical lens and not the tactical lens. Right. right. So that's a struggle. You think about organizations, they they capex, you know, um, new assets in their organization. They never think about the implications of the people's side of 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 what it means and what's required to mobilize those people. They just assume that people are going to produce. Hence my earlier example. So oftentimes there's just a lack of consideration because they can't wrap their heads around operationally the nuances surrounding the impact, not in how employees feel, but how they're actually motivated or driven to perform behaviorally, which is a very different consideration. And I mean, it's perpetuated all the way from human resource strategy or human capital management strategy. Right. They see it through a transactional lens of of compliance or headcount or labor costs. Right. Not necessarily the implications of engagement, interaction, decision making. That's the miss. Right. I see because we used to do this kind of work and no one's doing anymore. So I see back to where you really started with the whole culture. Yes, there are some generic behaviors like how to give effective feedback, for example, that every leader needs to understand how to do, could use constant refinement on. I mean, there's a bunch of those, some of those. But the real bang for the buck on the leadership comes from being really clear what it is you want leaders to be doing in order to drive your values and your mission and your strategy. And so we used to do work, which we'd say, what are you trying to achieve? And what's the gap you have in the leadership behavior that's going to get you there? then great, let's design the training around filling that gap. Um, and that that work is just not happening. But is again, we're back to the beginning. If you're not really clear about the values and the behaviors that come from those values or the strategy, then you're going to struggle to figure out what your training needs to look like. Yeah, that's, that's a big miss, right? Like you said, they're not investing up front. But it's also the approach to training that's also a disconnect. It's yeah. it, When you think about... How, sports, for example, if I, or golfing or whatever it may be, if I want to address behavior, form, the how I approach my leadership, my form, when I handle a basketball or when I handle a football, in the midst of the game, when I go to the sideline, there's someone in position to say, how you handled the ball, how you threw the ball, your arm position, your posture, your stance impacted your performance, your ability to have to do what you needed to do with your team members. We have to measure the efficacy of leadership on the basis of their ability to train, develop, coach people in real time. Classroom training, you'll see this in the book, I reference learning retention theory. Classroom or passive learning mechanisms, which organizations spend millions of dollars on, only perpetuates 30% or less retention of those principles or concepts behaviorally. How do you expect that leader to then go and apply? They only took away 30%. Now you want me to go and apply those principles in real time. 
So I, because I put my leadership through some circumstantial classroom training, now you, what we have we done over time, we started to try to introduce workshops, working sessions, breakout groups. We try to make it as experiential as we can. So we get out of that 30% range. Maybe I'm more in the 40% range. Active learning pushes me into 75%, 80% experiential learning. I need to understand in real time. Well, guess what? That's a lot harder for organizations to think about when you're talking about leadership behavior. Now, if you're asking me to assemble a a, a, a product, then I'm going to be on the line and it's on the job training and I'm going to teach you every move to get it right. Well, guess what? We appro- we should be approaching leadership behavior, coaching development and with intentionality the same way. So experiential learning, it's how we're approaching that leadership development is also the disconnect. Right, right. I think this is one of the reasons that we've seen such an explosion in coaching. I'm off topic, but we'll come back to topic in a moment Mm -hmm. because I think leaders want that one-to-one attention Mm -hmm. and that allows them to zero in on what I did in this meeting. Even if it's retrospective, I did this, I said this, here's the impact. How else could I do it? Or in planning, I'm about to have this conversation. How can I have the conversation the best way? You're spot on. I mean, part of the work we do in more of a sustainability mode, one of the things we offer is for our executive leaders, executive coaching. There are certain individuals I even take on in my bandwidth um, at a senior executive level for our larger clients. I literally just had a coaching conversation yesterday about a a call he's intending to make with a very important client with whom he's compromised his trust between them two. That's the depth of behavioral intentionality. I think I said something that ate away at my trust between me and this person and my relationship with them. And our one of our core values is partnership and integrity. I, I really want to address this and get in front of it, but this is a really sensitive conversation. How to, should I approach it? That, to your point, is truly navigating this culture with intentionality through coaching, real-time, experiential learning and practice. Right, right. I think it's the marrying of those two. I think there's some conceptual stuff that we do, sure. some example stuff that we can do, but it's sure. that down to how I do it in this myself in that way. All right, let's get back to generational differences. Mm-hmm. What else do you think we need to be doing with the millennials and the Gen Z that we're not doing? So you've talked about the experience they're having day in and day out and whether it matches their expectations. What else? I think it starts with the individual. Our baby boomer and Gen X leaders have to do some self-evaluation on the biases that shape how they engage, interact, and make decisions surrounding millennial and Gen Z employees. We can't approach it with Oh, millennial employees are lazy. Oh, they only they don't are they aren't prepared to commit. If we go at it with this negative connotation of what we can expect from that population of employees, we're already behind the eight ball. Then how do I build with authenticity and sincerity a relationship of understanding? So we as baby boomer and Gen X leaders need to approach this Mm -hmm. with an open mind to understanding the power and impact of this demographic of talent in the marketplace and mitigate um, as much bias in the biases we do have or prejudices we do have, be open about them up front. 
Hey, I'm gonna be honest, man. I was nervous about about what this meant for our business or for this role because the only experiences I have with your generation is this, this, and this. But I want I'm open to really learning more. Whatever that looks like, it starts with us as the uh, as the senior leader, and then it's the then it's the recognition that interest and desires are often similar in context, but we're in different times where opportunities, information, um, availability, um, this pursuit of entrepreneurialism, this um, uh, purpose-driven focus is what shapes how they want to explore opportunities, how they measure their experience. But foundationally, Maslow's hierarchy of needs says that there's some things that we all share in our motivators, our desires to want to show up and reach the state of self-actualization. So so go at it with the understanding that we're more alike than we're different, but let's let's talk about it. Let's examine it. And then we can build on one another from there. Okay. All right. I like your statement. What I hear from Gen X in particular some from baby boomers, but especially from Gen X, mm-hmm. is they're entitled. Yes, quote, I hear unquote, it all the time. they're entitled. You got two minutes. Give me your pitch to a Gen X manager to get them over that hump of feeling entitled. The younger generations are entitled. I would ask a Gen Xer or a baby boomer, what is the most valuable aspect of your life? When you peel back the onion of all the material things, what's the most valuable aspect or asset in your life? The average person is going to tell me time. If I could give you $10 million, but I told you you were going to die tomorrow, or I told you that I wasn't going to give you 10,000, but I can guarantee you're going to live to 80, which one would you choose? or 90 or 100, 95 to 98% of those individuals are going to tell me I would choose to live to 90. Why? Because they put value, greater value on time. So now take that concept. How do we tell a millennial or Gen Zer that then for them, you're not entitled to how you measure the value of your time? Mm. That's what I would do. Because once we understand that we don't get to say that how you measure your value of time is ridiculous because you feel entitled to your experience over that time. What we measure our value in when we were growing up, we were shaped a certain way. We were industrialized in many ways to sustain ourselves, our family, our economy. We're in a different time and space now learning experiences, family dynamics, things have shaped their measure of what the value of time really is. We don't get to say that shame on you for how you measure the value of your time. So I would bring them back to that from a self-reflection point of view to understand how um, unfair and, and frankly uh, asinine it is to suggest that someone doesn't isn't entitled to their time. Now, entitled to outcomes Now, we can talk about that and how to navigate that. Right, right. This is coming right back to the core principle is that employers are paying people for their time. And employees are putting an equation in their heads or out there on paper that says, given the time time. I've put in, I think I I want 
this much money for that time. I want money or I want development experience. Or I, want, or I, want, I want, I want the, the, the camaraderie. Right. I, w- I want whatever you told me your culture was going to give me for my time. So sometimes I may take lesser wage yeah. for the better experience. Here's what happens yeah. when they don't get that experience. What are they asking for? <laughs> then I want more money or I'm going to someone for 10 cent more or 25 cent more because I think that at least I'll be valued a little bit more for my time. Right. right. So this is a really important concept. One I hadn't thought about, I must admit, is that the equation is I value my time and the experience I'm having my time and how much I'm paying, getting paid for that time and how much I'm learning for that time and so on and so on. All right. Dante, you got one minute, actually a little less than that. What takes you out of your comfort zone? Oh, what takes me out of my comfort zone, I think, is scenarios where I feel like I have to convince individuals to believe in something that I believe so strongly in. And what I started to recognize, it is not my job to convince you. It's my job to give you the testimony of my experience with the notion that if I can trigger a connection between my testimony and what you believe is important, then over time, you'll come to share the same belief that I do. Well said. I can't even write up a summary around that one other than I give the testimony of my experience. In many ways, that comes right back to the generations in what we've been talking about. Dante, what a great conversation, Um, a broad one, but you sort of see how culture and the deeper definition of what we mean by culture down to the behavioral, the learning, the practice, the measurement, the refinement becomes so important for the work that we've been doing. So my guest today is Dr. Dante Vaughn, the book that we've been talking about from culture to culture, the system to define, implement, measure, and improve your company culture. He's the CEO and managing partner of Culture Works with an X at the end. And Dante, thank you for being a guest today. Wanda, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And join us all next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. If you like today's show, please like us on your favorite podcast provider, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.